I'm incredibly happy. And I don't think that I would be as happy as I am without confronting some of the things that aren't fun to deal with because I feel better about myself. I feel better about things that I do. I don't know if you're going to see this voice, but I thought I was happy. Are, are you happy? I'm not happy at all. The question is, are you happy? Yes. Are you happy? I'm the happiest I've ever been happy? right now. P.S. Be the person who you'd want to meet because somebody needs you. Welcome to Are You Happy? The Happy Hour. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You Happy Podcast. Well, today is a special day. I want to say maybe about almost a year ago, we had one guest who had previously been in our recordings, where in 2020, we had a lot of people send voice messages to Instagram to let us know if, in fact, they were happy. And so we had Jackson from Bowling Green, Kentucky, who told us about the story of where his fingers got cut off and his life after that and how amazing his life was, not not only afterwards, but also during that period and how he had so much support. And so it is really awesome that we have yet again come across someone who has been in our recordings and you actually heard her last week and her story is amazing and we can't wait to hear the rest of it because spoiler part of that voice message was cut off <laughs> so we want to ask her about the second half but also we want to meet her and get to know her so live from are you happy voices it's stephanie but how are you stephanie I'm so good today. How are you, Vanessa? You know what? I'm doing better now. That's good. <laughs> That's good. I've been you since yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been uh, everything I can do in my power to not like, when I hear your name, I think about Freddie Fazbear and Five Nights at Freddy's and I just think about Vanessa. <laughs> so it's been so hard for me to not say your name like Vanessa. <laughs> Wow. Okay, then. <laughs> now I'm going to hear that when I when I hear my name. Nice. Oh, Thank well, you're you. welcome. All right on. <laughs> so you were super awesome and gracious to uh, to respond. I know that for us, people don't know this, but we send messages back to people when we've heard their voice message from two years ago, three years ago. Right. And so it, we make it a point to message them back and say thank you. And then also if there's something else that we really just need to say, then we will. And with your voice message, which we'll hear in a second, I just, I had to say something else. <laughs> but I, I could not imagine like everything that I heard. I was just like blown away. Yeah, uh, it's just like one thing after another. And you're like, how is it, how could it possibly get worse? Like how could, how is this girl still standing is what I was wondering. Yeah. yeah. Not only that, but then to hear what came afterward, I was just like, holy macadoodle. Yeah, definitely. Macadoodle, that's a good one. I'm keeping that. <laughs> made it you're welcome now i'm amazing all right so let's let's check out let's check out this clip so everyone can catch up what do you say yeah okay oh i thought you meant what do i say like what am i gonna say in the clip i'm like play it <laughs> no i was getting verbal permission yeah no go right ahead i don't care okay oh goodness this can be fun doing well and keep doing what you're doing That's my name her. is stephanie and it's been really hard for me to be happy Six years ago, I lost my mom, my aunt, and my grandma, and my dad almost died in a motorcycle accident. And after my mom died, I tried to take my own life, and I was in a coma for three days. And I don't remember a lot about that time of my life. And then my dad died in March of this year, right before quarantine. And so I'm 28, and both of my parents are gone. But 
I'm a domestic violence advocate for kids and I get to help them and that makes me happy. And I have a partner that supports me and has gone through the hardest time of my life with me and that makes me happy. And the sun is out today and I'm happy. Despite all of those terrible things, I'm still here and I'm lucky to be able to experience all of this. So yeah, I'm just, I'm happy. So that was that was an intense message. Yeah. Hearing it the first time, because in the, the, the beginning part, you're like, oh, my goodness. And then your other parent and then everything else that happened after that. And in, in addition to your personal experience as well. Yeah. How, how in the heck did you how did you keep going every day? How did that, you that was that was the hardest part is just you have to take things a day at a time when you're going through something like that. And sometimes it's it's minutes at a time or hours at a time. And you're just like, I just got to get through the next 20 minutes and I'll be OK. And then you get through the next 20 minutes. And some days it's easier than others. And even now, I mean, it's been three years since that message and I'm still doing the same job. I'm still working with the same things. I still have the same partner. He's still amazing. But if if none of those terrible things had happened, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. And I think that the universe puts us where we're supposed to be at the time we're supposed to be there, even if the circumstances aren't the most enjoyable. So it's that's kind of what keeps me going is knowing like, okay, something something good is going to come from this. I'm going to learn something from this or I'm going to be more resilient because of it. So that's kind of what fueled me to get through it. Now, you said getting through the next 20 minutes. So was that something that you already knew how to do or was it just something that in the moment it became what it was and then you just kind of took it from there? I mean, I think just because I've always grown up, I'm an only child. So it was always just me and my parents and like a huge extended family. My dad was like a big biker guy. My mom was a small town bartender. I grew up a town in a town of like 250 people. Everybody knows everybody. And so going through a lot of those experiences of them like losing friends over the course of years and family members because we had such a big family. It was something that I always just knew about and like knew how to handle properly because my parents were very open and honest and raw with me from a young age about how to handle those emotions and that it's okay to show emotions. My dad was a big scary looking dude but he'd cry at like commercials with puppies in him. So having that kind of soft gentle masculinity I think was really easy to or that made it a lot easier knowing that it was okay to express those feelings even when they were the people that I lost. And so what what kind of things did they did they teach you in your younger years that then became very important in in your older Every every time I would leave the house your parents tell you to drive safe or in Wisconsin here we say watch for deer that's what we say. But my dad would always tell me to be a good human. And I think that is the best advice that you can give to any person because it doesn't matter what their circumstances is or what their circumstances are. They can go out and be a good human that day and just treat people kindly. And so being a good person, part of that is like being good to yourself and saying, hey, I'm not okay right now. And that's fine. I wouldn't expect somebody else in my situation to be okay in this moment. So I'm not going to hold myself to that standard. I'm not going to say, well, I have to be fine because nobody's fine after they lose a family member or a parent or a friend or anyone. So they they just taught me to be resilient through expressing my emotions, getting through them, being honest about them, leaning on people that love and care about you. And my dad would like write poems to help express his feelings. And uh, so we would do that. Or my mom's like, let's just go outside and scream. <laughs> and so that was something else that we do. We just go out in the middle of the country. We just yell. And so 
their style of parenting, being up front and teaching your kids that it's okay to feel and how to process that in a healthy way. So are you a huge advocate of that for, for other parents? Do you kind of continuously advise them to, to be with their children in that particular manner? Absolutely. I think that a lot of people kind of discount gentle parenting as this, you're, you're coddling your children all the time or you're teaching them to be too soft to the point where they're not going to be able to handle things. And there's a difference between coddling somebody and being honest with them, but also being like emotionally supportive. And I think that what's kind of bringing that into the modern style of parenting or TV shows like Bluey, where it's showing a healthy parental relationship, healthy coping techniques for kids, not lying to them, being honest with them. And then gentle parenting isn't easy. It's not easy to not scream at your kid when they spill a bunch of stuff all over the floor, but they're a kid and yelling at them isn't going to stop them from spilling something. So I think people just need to remember that children are tiny humans that don't know how to deal with the big feelings in their little bodies. And that's kind of what I try to teach when I go into um, all the schools in our county to teach about coping skills and mental health and resiliency and grounding techniques and stuff, because they just a lot of the time they don't get that, especially because our communities are very rural and conservative. So a lot of the time parenting styles are more like, ah, you'll get over it. Don't go to the doctor unless you're dying. Mental health isn't a problem. So it's a huge hurdle to overcome to try and get parents to kind of see the light on that. What is the uh, the first thing you think of when you think of your parents? Oh, God. I mean, there's good and bad. <laughs> I uh, I loved my parents as human beings, but that doesn't mean that they always made the best parenting decisions. They both struggled with alcoholism. So unfortunately, that is something that I think about when I think about my parents. It's what eventually took my mom's life was she just drank until she wasn't okay anymore. My dad got sober for the last two years of his life, which was incredibly difficult for him to do. And I commend him for that. And he passed from a heart problem. Uh, he had surgery and he just didn't, didn't wake back up. So when I think of them, I, I think of some of those like those tough things. But I also think about my mom's laugh and how loud it was and how they always encouraged me to just be silly and not care what people think and to express myself in any way that made me feel better in that moment, so long as I wasn't hurting myself or somebody else. And then after both of them were gone, you know how growing up, you kind of wonder for a second what it would be like without your parents? Oh, yeah. While, while they're here was, I guess, that thought of what it would be like with them gone. Was it anything like that when it actually happened? No. No, nothing like when I was a kid and I was like, oh, if I lost my parents, I don't know where I would go. What would I do? Who would I call? And it's in those moments where you can't call that person that you're like, uh oh, <laughs> now I have to find something else to do. And when I lost my mom, I mean, I got a phone call in the morning that she had passed away from my dad. I was living five hours away in Fort Wayne, Indiana at the time. And they were still living here in Wisconsin. And I went to a job interview after that and got the job. And then I was like, hey, I'm going to need a couple of weeks off because my mom died this morning. <laughs> and they were like, what? Why'd you come in? And I'm like, well, I'm still going to need a job after I get back. And that's what my mom would have said to me is, hey, this is hard, but you're still going to need a job when you get done with this. So get this out of the way now. And then with losing my dad, it was it was so unexpected because this was supposed to be the surgery that like extended his longevity in his life. And he didn't wake up for a couple of days. And I was like, oh, OK, you know, he's just having some trouble. His blood pressure is going up and stuff. So I drive up there every day to go see him. And I'd only been dating my boyfriend at like a month at that point. And he could have easily just been like, nah, this is heavy. I'm good. And he didn't. So having that was really incredible. But it was just being an only child and having to make the decision to let a parent go 
because they had had like a major stroke and they just weren't there anymore after already losing one parent, like having to choose to let another one go was there's nothing that prepares you for that. There's no way to prepare yourself for that. And I think that even when you like prepare yourself as well as you can to lose a parent or an important family member, like if you're raised by your grandparents or your sister was your main caregiver, well, whoever it may be, you're never ready for how that's going to hit you. I don't think anybody's ever truly ready because who's who's ready to let go of the people that they love ever. And did that changed the way you looked at the world? Definitely. Because for me, I had just started working as an advocate for kids in domestic violence situations. And then five months later, my dad died. And then a week later, the pandemic happened and everything shut down. If it weren't for that, I don't think I would have made it through as easily because I was able to work from home. I was able to just kind of like check out and then stay home for like two years. <laughs> so it was kind of the pandemic is a blessing in disguise for me. Um, and as an op, I have an autoimmune disease. So like, I really had to like be careful and stay inside. And people are like, oh, the pandemic was awful. I'm like, yeah, people died. It was a terrible thing. But for me personally, I needed that time. So I, I used it to my advantage to be able to grieve and kind of get myself going again. you got to take every situation for the silver lining in life, I think, because if you constantly just feel like, oh, this keeps happening and this is all so terrible and what am I possibly going to do? You get stuck in a loop, I think. And you have to be like, OK, well, what's one good thing that I learned from this or one good thing that has come out of this? Like I met this person who's given me a lot of support and that's amazing, even though it was because we met because of these terrible circumstances. So it's for me, it's about finding that those little tiny positive nuggets mm -hmm. in the beach of life, trying to find those little tiny happy shells. I like it. The puka shells, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Remember those puka shell yeah. necklaces? Yeah. <laughs> we wore those. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that you'll agree. I mean, you said that your boyfriend was new during yeah. the hard parts of that. Then also this habit of finding the silver linings. I mean, I would say that combined those two things really saved you. Oh, a thousand percent. If I didn't have Ron and my chosen family, like my best friend, I consider her my sister. She has three children. They're they're my godchildren. I love them. I don't want kids, but those are kids I can send home at the end of the day. So I like them. <laughs> and uh, if it weren't for them, I don't think I'd be here, to be completely honest. I don't think that I would have stuck around because I wouldn't have had the, uh, for what, you know, trying to find the silver lining in situations where people aren't there to help you find it can be really, really difficult. And I don't think that I would have navigated this nearly as well if I didn't have the amazing support system that I have. And not everybody is fortunate enough to have that. So that's why I think so many people struggle because they really just don't have somebody safe to turn to. And that's why it was so important for me to, when I was asked to join the board of directors for NAMI, I was like, absolutely, yes, please. Because so many young people don't have a place to go and express those emotions in a healthy way, in a safe way, or to be able to get connected to the services to help them continue to navigate those feelings because they don't go away after a pep talk. And more kids have mental health issues now than ever. A lot of these kids, they started kindergarten in 2020. They don't know what school is like pre-pandemic. There's kids that do know what it was like. And then they got forced to go into this other learning situation. And now it's back. And I know second graders with like generalized anxiety. And I've never seen that in my career. 
working with kids. There's just not enough resources. And I think people kind of discount the fact that like everybody could stand to have somebody to talk to. Whether you think that you have mental health problems or you think everything's fine in your life, you should probably still go to therapy or at least talk to somebody because you never really know Mm -hmm. until somebody else kind of gives you that perspective of like, hey, did you ever think about this as maybe something that might be affecting you more than you're allowing yourself to realize? And uh, that that was a lot for me because he encouraged my boyfriend encouraged me to get into therapy. And I was always very like anti-medications because I hadn't I had bad experience with medications uh, in my early 20s. And he kind of turned me around. He's like, well, it's been a decade. Maybe you should try again. (laughs) I just don't think people have the connections to the support that they need. And that's why I've made it like my personal mission in life to make sure that people know that there's always somebody you can talk to. And if I can't help you, I will find someone who will. I think that's an amazing mission. I wish more people would just understand that like mental health isn't because something bad happened to you. It can happen to anybody for any reason. My mom would never go to the doctor for anything. She grew up on a farm. You just don't go to the doctor unless you have to. And uh, she suffered with rheumatoid arthritis and all sorts of other ailments and just didn't do anything about it. So what I learned from that is to always go and do something about it if you have a problem. But I firmly believe that she struggled with depression or maybe even some sort of bipolar disorder or personality disorder that she just never addressed. So like, As a teenager, I was like, you're drinking all the time. What's wrong with you? Just stop. Just quit. And as an adult, I'm like, what happened to her that made her want to drink that bad? And your perspective shifts so much after you've been through something. You're like, I think you have more sympathy for other people. You're like, well, think about it from their point of view. What would you do? If you were in that situation and you had nobody to turn to or didn't have the ability to express what was hurting you or you didn't even know what was hurting you. It's just so difficult for some people to rip that Band-Aid off, to be able to cleanse the wound. They're just just safer to leave the Band-Aid on. It'll be fine. It'll heal under there. Well, no, it won't. You got to let it air out. You got to keep it clean. You got to continue to maintain that wound and it'll heal up. But if you just put a Band-Aid on it and ignore it going to fester. So there's there's a fine line between taking care of yourself and saying you're taking care of yourself, like really doing it. And I struggled for a long time with always being able to give advice or always being able to say, hey, you should do this, but then not being able to do that for myself. And what broke me of that was if you wouldn't want it for your best friend or somebody that you care about very dearly, you shouldn't want it for yourself. So like, if you wouldn't say that to yourself as a little kid, like if I was like, oh, I'm I'm so lazy because I didn't get this done. Would I say that to a five-year-old, like a five-year-old me? No. Would I say that to my best friend? No. So why would I say that about myself? That's been a game changer. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Yeah, that's the hardest part. I think yeah. is being able to self-care has become such like a like a trend. Like people are like, oh, self-care, Epsom salt bath bath bombs, go to Lush, treat yourself. That's great. Do that. But also self-care is going to therapy, talking about your problems with somebody, making the decision to pursue medication because it could improve your quality of life, making the decision to stop taking a certain medication and try a different one because it's not working for you, setting healthy boundaries with people, not letting people harsh your mellow disturb your peace. It's difficult to do those things, but those things are just as much self-care 
as a face mask. And when you when you mentioned your mission and helping people by listening to them and talking to them because everyone needs that person, it reminded me of, of what you said about your dad, about being a good human for everyone, regardless if they have a, a degree or a certification, right? It's it's upon everyone to to be that good human being and, and listen to other people. Exactly. I, I didn't go to college for this. I went to college for two years for, for law, for criminal law. And I was like, you know, I don't think this is for me. And then I worked a, a slew of other careers. And then this job just fell into my lap because I happened to go to the right place at the right time to eat lunch. And so the universe just put me where I was supposed to be in that moment. And uh, everything worked out. But it doesn't it doesn't happen like that for everybody either. So you, you don't need to um, have some sort of degree or lived experience, in my opinion, is just as relevant as a PhD. You can have a PhD in being through trauma. And that's why trauma informed care is so important, I think, especially in medical settings, because, you know, with nonprofits, like with my my domestic violence agency, we serve the whole county. And then we have a sister agency that handles sexual assault and like a multidisciplinary team that works on child abuse cases where we have multiple different people like law enforcement, medical professionals, advocacy, all in the same room, making sure that that person has everything they need. We're very lucky to have that. It's almost unheard of in our realm of work. But like in the medical field, it's not as clear to them how to handle somebody going through a traumatic situation like that, I think. So we've been advocating for our local clinic to start having doctors take trauma-informed care classes so they can handle people in those situations better. And that's been incredible to see, you know, because you, you walk into a room and they're like, are you safe at home? Well, if my husband's sitting right here and he's my abuser, I'm going to say I feel safe at home. You're going to know I'm lying. How do you help that person? You're not going to know unless you ask. And who are you going to ask? So there's just so many gaps in the system where people just don't have access to the right information or they just feel so defeated before they even start that they just don't seek the help. And I think that's a huge part of the problem is that people can't afford to be good humans when they can't find a way to take care of themselves. And so this work that you've been doing with the advocacy group, can you tell us like how that all started after the lunch? Like how, how did oh, that? Yeah. yeah. So I was dating a bartender at the time and I went in there for lunch because they made some killer nachos. And two of my now co-workers were sitting there and he had been gassing me up because I was working in debt collection and that wasn't fun. And he knew that I was pretty depressed, just like getting yelled at all day. I'm like, I don't want to ask you for money. I know you don't have it, but it's my job. And uh, especially in medical debt, because I think the medical system in America is just so shattered. So it wasn't a fun job. And uh, he was like, oh, well, she loves to help people. She'd be great for this. And they were like, well, we're hiring somebody to work with kids. Do you like kids? And I was like, yeah, I do. I love working with kids. So I came in for an interview got the job, quit the debt collection agency that I worked at with my dad, which kind of sucked because I got to see him every day. And that was awesome. But I work two buildings away from where that is. So I'm on the same block. And I just kind of took over the teen and child program that they already had established. And then I just started changing shit. I was like, you know, I love the foundation that you guys have here. But my executive director and my coworkers um, allow me to kind of set my own standards for how I want to do things. And so I wanted to change everything from kind of like a rigid structure that the schools were like, okay, we're going to teach A, B, C, D in this order. And they're going to do a worksheet about healthy relationships. And I'm like, they're not going to learn anything from that. You can't treat self-care and coping skills as homework. And you can't teach it like you're teaching 
Spanish. You have to be able to connect with kids on a human level and just be like, hey, I remember being 16. It was awful. Here's what I wish somebody would have told me when I was that age. And that's what's really opened my eyes to a lot of the problems. Because, I mean, I'm 31. I I remember not having internet and going outside and be home before the lights come on and nobody was worried about me. And then I had unrestricted access to the internet and a copy of Windows 98. And I saw some things on the internet I wish I hadn't seen. (laughs) But at the same time, I can't imagine if like my bullies in high school had access to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week across five different social media platforms. And they also had access to everybody else that I know. And they can put out one message or one Instagram story and make me feel like garbage for the next three months? No. How do, how do kids expect or how do people expect kids to cope when there's no break? It's not like I'm going to I'm going to meet you outside at four o'clock after school and I'm going to beat your ass. You know, it's I'm going to harass you on every social media platform that you have and make everybody think that you're a slut or a jerk or whatever. And it's not even going to Take me two seconds and just boop, 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 and your life is hell. And people are like, oh, they'll be fine. No, they won't. No, they won't. And I think people need to realize that, that it's just, it's different now. You can't just subscribe to the way that you handled it in 1995 or 2005 even. It's constantly changing and people need to just admit that they don't understand because admitting you don't understand something is the first step in learning how to handle it. And people are prideful. And that's okay, but you have to let that guard down and be like, okay, I don't understand how this works. So I'm trying to offer programs where I can explain in like a non-demeaning, non-judgeful way. Hey, this is why your kid is struggling. This is all the stuff they're dealing with. Now you have that perspective to be able to go to them and be like, hey, how can I help? How can I listen? And I think that that's been helpful for a lot of parents. But at the same time, there's still going to be those parents that just they don't get it. And that's That's just got to be so hard. I was so fortunate to have parents that were emotionally available. And uh, so many kids don't have that. Especially during the pandemic. There was a lot of incidents of domestic violence. And that just kills you to think about, right? Well, yeah, to be stuck at home with your abuser and then be expected to participate in class. Or maybe you're stuck watching your siblings because mom has to go to work. She can't afford childcare. Even if you can't afford childcare, you're lucky if you get in. I think it exposed a lot of the problems in society that we expect of single mothers, single fathers, small families, big families. Like if you rely on the government in some way or you are, you know, working on a low income, which is most of the country, you're not going to have access to be able to deal with those things. What are you supposed to do when you're stuck at home with the person that's abusing you? And you don't have that escape to school. What if you don't get free breakfast and free lunch for two years? And those those programs are so essential and grossly underfunded. Why wouldn't you want to fund the lunch program? Why don't you want kids to eat? Who votes against that? That's like the bare minimum. The bar is so low. And I started getting involved in local government because of that, too, because it's just... Our school district wants to spend $88 million on a new school, on a new facility. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe you could give teachers raises instead or pay off all of the library fines or make sure that every kid has school lunch for a year instead of building this brand new building. Like weigh your options and see which is more in the long run. You're going to want healthy, mentally stable, prosperous people. 
and those young people are going to be those people sooner than you think. You have to invest in them. They're the infrastructure you need to invest in. And uh, so I, I ran a political campaign for somebody who was running for our local state assembly. She did not win, unfortunately, but she had a lot against her. She started real late in the game. And now I do all of the newsletters and social media posts for our local Green County Democrats organization. And that's also been very eye opening to me about just the way things are so dysfunctional mm -hmm. as far as just not caring for people as people like at, at the core of everything. You should just care about people and want the best for them. And that is so difficult when everybody is so divided over one thing or another, like we are right now. It's it's hard to watch. Do you think that at some point what you see in that division will have any kind of impact on you and how you operate, how you personally operate in trying to help everyone? Do you think that that'll affect you one day? I think it already has in some ways. I've learned to be, I used to be kind of a doormat and uh, I'm the absolute opposite of that, or at least I try to be. I used to have a lot of problems with saying no. I love saying no now. It's my favorite. <laughs> Saying no is amazing. I wish I would have started sooner. But, you know, you have to approach things in a way that everybody can relate to in some way. You have to be able to read people to know how to get to them. And I might completely disagree with everything this kid is saying on a moral standpoint, but that doesn't change the fact that that kid needs help. Maybe I can't change the way that he feels about this one thing, but maybe I can change the way that he feels about himself, which may lead him to reassess those opinions. You, you have to start with everybody is just everybody's a person, regardless of how they feel. And it is not easy to go to somebody that you disagree with everything on and be like, hey, I want to help you. And a lot of the time they don't want your help, but you tried. And that's what matters is that you, you put an effort forth. So what I'm in the future, I think it's going to be hard for me to keep that energy up. So I'm trying to bring other people into that mindset. So it's not just, it can't be me against the world all the time. As much as I think that it can be, <laughs> realistically, I can't do it by myself. So that's why I keep trying to get involved in other organizations that can kind of get that out there. Like everybody needs help. Everybody needs something. And you have to give people the space to feel like it's okay to ask for those things. So for all the kids and all the families that you've helped, when you help them, do you feel like you grow with them or something inside you grows? Definitely. I feel like every time I help somebody, I learn something about myself. I'm like, I used to see this situation in a completely different light. And I thought about it very negatively. But now that I know somebody that's been through this, you know, this situation or this circumstance, I see it in a completely different light now. And I empathize with them or I, I was exposed to a barrier that I wasn't aware of before. We do a lot of bilingual advocacy. And so barriers with people that immigrate to the United States and the racism that they face, the classism that they face, trying to come into a predominantly conservative white community and trying to function as a Hispanic family is not easy. So we tried to create something in order to help with that barrier. And that that was wildly eye opening to me to start learning about the circumstances of like people dealing with cartels in their home countries or people dealing with lack of access to clean water or food or shelter. And then I'm like, wow, how am I complaining sometimes? But then you also have to be like, well, it's okay to complain just because you don't have the worst problems in the world doesn't mean that your problems aren't valid. So it's, it's a lot of give and take. 
it's a lot of personal deconstruction and it's changed the way that I feel. I'm a lot angrier now, but I use that to motivate myself, I guess is a good way to say it. I'm, I'm motivationally enraged. Positive anger, folks. It does exist. Exactly. It does exist. You know, if you channel your like outrage, really, with yeah. with the yeah, with the disparities, with things that should not be so that you're like, dude, we're freaking 2023 or it shouldn't be like this anymore. Like there's no yeah. reason why those kids should be without food in the morning. Yeah. So forth. But I get it. I think anybody would be uh, pro positive anger if it's for a good reason, because you're trying to get stuff done. Yeah, anger can be healthy. And I think people don't think about anger as a positive emotion, but it's healthier to think about it as a positive emotion. Oh, I'm really angry about this thing. So I'm going to take all of that energy. And instead of beating myself up for it or trying to hurt somebody else's feelings, I'm going to do something about it. Or I'm going to go to somebody who can help me do something about it. Or I'm going to go talk about this anger and get it out so that I can remove it from my path and continue to move forward. I mean, I deal with angry men mostly for a living. (laughs) So I I see anger all the time and it's like, okay, well, maybe if that guy had someone to talk to, he wouldn't hurt his wife. It's It all comes back down to the fact that people just human beings need help and they don't have a way to ask for it or they don't feel like they can because of the, the social constructs that we have in the world. But I think especially in America. Do you think that um, because of the pandemic and everyone now opening up more as far as like the discussion on mental health, that that's one thing, one of maybe a few things that actually came out positively from that whole thing? Yeah, that's definitely the like the pandemic's version of the silver lining. I think, is that it exposed a lot of those issues that just people didn't have time to think about. And with everybody having to kind of take a step back and be like, we're all in the same exact boat at the same exact time right now. Everybody in the world is dealing with the same. It was an extended trauma. I don't think people realize that we've been through a collective extended trauma for years. Every single person on this earth has dealt with this. And it's going to give you feelings of like being unsettled, like a form of PTSD where you're like, well, what if this happens again? And what do I do? Well, we still have kids day in and day out right now, like the counselors from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. It's just kids with mental health issues coming forward. So like, yeah, it did create a lot of mental health issues, but it also exposed the need to help those things. And we have a long way to go, but it's a start. It exposed a lot of that stuff. And I think it exposed a lot of the issues people struggled with, with domestic violence and being at home, not being able to get away from that situation or the shortcomings in healthcare, the way that healthcare workers are treated, the way that we expected them to just be good after all of that. I think everybody respects healthcare workers a little bit more. And I I think that people should also respect frontline workers a lot more than they do. I, I can't imagine going back to retail. And teachers. And teachers. Jesus, the teachers. You know, the, they deal with behavioral issues like crazy because they have these kids that weren't in school until the pandemic happened. So they've only ever known virtual learning for kindergarten and first grade. Now, all of a sudden, they're in second grade and you expect them to be like socially integrated. You have 30 kids that have always just been the sole focus for the first two years of their schooling. You can't ask one person to deal with 30 kids worth of that. There's no way. You can't expect somebody who makes $35,000 a year to do that and then also raise your child and babysit them for eight hours a day along with 29 other kids. That's the disrespect. Teachers need a lot more 
than they're getting. And it's been that way for decades, but I think especially now seeing people quit in the healthcare industry and in the education industry, that's going to be a problem sooner than people think. No one wants to go go to college to make $30,000 a year. So what is, uh, I guess, what is something that you want to see develop from all of this? I'd like to see a lot more empathy in people. People kind of write others off immediately because of something they're advertising about themselves. A lot of the time it's political differences, but I just think people need to realize that we're all the exact same. We're all just people trying to exist. And if you just walk out the door every day and say, I'm going to be a good human today, if everybody just tried and then just stopped using all of their energy to be destructive or divisive or cruel or dismissive, I think that would go a long way. So that's what I would like to see come out of that. I would like to see funding for nonprofits and government programs and things like NAMI, where they're trying to provide the resources that we now know we so desperately need. We've been new for a while, but now everybody knows. So now there's something everybody can do about it. I just want people to realize everybody's just like you. Everybody's the same. Well, firstly, <laughs> that, that's that got to be like the best response I've ever heard. Oh, shut up. Nah. Yeah, like seriously, because it's so true on so many levels. I mean, yeah, if everyone was to stop being divisive and just go outside and try to be a better human. Yeah, go touch some grass. A different place. Yeah. A different place. And so many things would be handled differently. So many things. All of these things that you said would be funded and would take care of everyone else. The bare minimum. Goodness. Yeah. Oh, sorry. My cat's yelling. It's okay. He's famous on TikTok. Oh, really? Yeah, his name is Santiago. He sits up like a person. I'll, I'll plug my TikTok right now. It's at Pierogi Wizard. <laughs> Go follow my cat. Follow the cat, you guys. So you spoke about one of my most favorite organizations in the whole wide world, NAMI. Tell everyone about how you first got involved with them and, and what you're doing with them now. So I was nominated for a board of directors position back in November, and I wasn't made aware of that until about a month ago. So I was like, really? You guys talked about me? And I was nominated just because I'm a person in the community trying to talk about mental health and the youth are something that they're really focused on because you got to start somewhere and it's best to get to people when they're still young and forming and learning. I've started with them and now I'm trying to get their um, their programming into our local schools. So they have Family to Family, which is a program where they can you can take a free eight week course about how to handle somebody in your family or a friend who has mental health issues and what they struggle with and how you can best support them. We have programs like Ending the Silence, which is about speaking up when you have a mental health issue or you think somebody is struggling that we offer to schools. We have Raise Your Voice Clubs, which are about just kids coming together in an after-school club to support each other. They might have mental health issues or they might have a brother or a sister or a parent who's struggling with mental health issues just so they have somewhere to go and just talk about it. We train staff. We train parents. We train community members, people that work with kids on a regular basis. We try to get them informed. We do fundraising through NAMI Walks, which is, you know, just a walkathon. That's where we get most of our funding. It's rewarding because it's just another channel to get to people and be like, I just want to shake you. <laughs> people need help. And they're not going to know unless you talk about it. And NAMI just gives me another platform to discuss that with my community. And that's that's a start. Are there any particular experiences that you have with your community and like the impact that NAMI has had there, the impact that you've had in working with the community on, on the mental illness. I think that we've opened a lot of 
parents' eyes to mental health with youth, like kind of what we were talking about earlier with they don't realize what it's like for a kid to get bullied nowadays. They don't realize the constant access. Uh, So that's something that I think we've opened a lot of eyes to. I think we've exposed a lot of ignorance in our community as far as people's basic understanding of what mental health deals with, common misconceptions that people might have and trying to re-educate them on those and offering them a place to come and ask questions with no judgment because a lot of people are scared to ask those questions. They don't want to sound stupid. They don't want to seem ignorant or they just don't know who to ask. So giving an open forum for those people to be like messages on Facebook and be like, hey, my kid just got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. What do I do? Who are you going to ask unless you know somebody who has bipolar disorder or you have a family member that's dealing with mental health? Not everybody knows. So just giving people a place to ask, I think, has been a huge asset to what I've been working on. And then just teaching kids to ground themselves. I'm a firm believer in like breathing techniques and grounding techniques and guided meditation and progressive muscle relaxation exercises to just kind of remember where you are right now in your body in this moment, instead of being in your head three days from now and having that anxiety. I've learned a lot myself in teaching that and also kind of teaching like uh, Tai Chi and Qigong and other things to just help people just relax and realize like, okay, I'm just a person in a body on a giant flying rock in space. Me ripping my pants in gym yesterday is not the end of the world. But of course, it feels like the end of the world. But you have to give somebody the chance to be like, oh, okay, it's going to be fine. Because not everybody has somebody to tell them it's going to be fine. So you sometimes have to learn how to say that to yourself in those moments. And self-soothing isn't easy. I was wondering about that when you were speaking earlier. I was wondering about if there are moments where you uncovered some thing about yourself that you were not quite aware of. I've been accidentally triggered so many times. Then I call my therapist and I'm like, girl, (laughs) today I talked to this kid and I didn't realize that was something I dealt with as a kid. And then like they left and I cried and you learn a lot about yourself when you're helping other people. And I've I've definitely been triggered by things that I did not expect at all. So you're constantly learning about yourself. In what ways exactly? Well, like if I have a kiddo who has parents who drink a lot, that that can be really triggering. Or if I had, you know, a boyfriend that was sexually coercive in high school And now I'm talking to a kid who's dealing with that. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't okay for either one of us to go through, huh? You know, so I kind of have to remember to take time for a meeting with somebody to just be like, okay, I can't take any phone calls for the next 10 to 15 minutes. I just need to sit here at my desk and just or go outside for a minute and just realign myself and be like, all right, that's something that we just handled. And now we need to take it. We need to wipe it off of our energy so that we can move on with our day. Holding on to those things, those those burdens that you shoulder as an advocate, you have to remember to leave them at the door. And that's the hardest part is coping with not taking that stuff home with you because I'm I'm bad at it. It's a work in progress. I'm getting better. I'm not perfect. No one is. But yeah, that's been difficult. Just learning how to leave that stuff at work and leave those situations at the door and my home having to be like my sacred space. You're on a good path, though, because, I mean, if you take that time to process and kind of decompress afterward, that's that sounds like a, a very good way. It's a good start. Yeah. So my housemate is an EMT. Oof. Yeah. So he was dealing with all of that. And he currently works in a different area of the hospital dealing with a 
people in hospice and people that are either just been told they're dying or they're dying or that's heavy. Yeah, it is. And he's a Buddhist. And I'm and I when I look at him all the time and I'm like, how are you not in a ball in the corner like every day with all the stuff that you come home and tell us? And uh, and I said, especially during the pandemic, you know, in the height of it, when it's just nothing but beds of people every which way. And uh, he said, well, when I leave the hospital, I, I make make sure that I'm aware that I'm leaving the hospital when I'm in my car. I know that my car is a distance from the hospital. So which with every you know bit of distance he makes himself aware that everything that happened in the hospital is in the hospital and he's now away from it. So he practices that distance. And then when he gets home, what happened at the hospital is no longer with him. Exactly. You have to leave that at the door. It's like putting a line of salt over your door so that like evil can't get in. It's a very supernatural kind of thing. It's the same thing with your emotions. You have to have that that wall and be like, this is a sacred safe space where I cannot have that affecting me. It's like, can I do anything about this right now? No. Can I do something about it tomorrow when I'm getting paid to do my job? Yes. It's not going to serve me any good to sit here and worry about something that I cannot immediately change. And it's going to be better for me to serve other people if I accept that. And I take that time to take care of myself because I might not agree with RuPaul on everything. But if you can't take care of yourself, how the hell are you going to take care of anybody else? Can I get an amen? Amen. And I mean, she says love. And I think that is difficult to love yourself. So I'm like, okay, let's try take care instead. That's interesting. I I like it. (laughs) Yeah, you you have to be able to take care of yourself before you take care of other people. And I think other people care for others instead of themselves so they can avoid that tough self-worth. That's fine. That's a perfectly normal human response to something like that but also you're not doing yourself any favors and i, and I kind of feel like it comes back though oh yeah you try to get away with uh, away from it and it'll come back it'll come oh, back yeah. another and the sooner it, that you deal with it the better the universe will absolutely remind you of that thing when you're not expecting it at four o'clock in the grocery store in the candy aisle and you're just like, oh God, it's going to hit you when you least expect it. You've got to be prepared. And the best way you can prepare, I think, is acknowledging what you're dealing with and what you personally need to deal with and setting those boundaries and being like, hey, I really love and care about this person, but I'm dealing with a lot of my own stuff right now and I don't have the spoons to be able to help that person. So I'm going to navigate them to something that's like a whole cafeteria worth of spoons because if you can't help them yourself you got to help somebody else get there the spoons is that a wisconsin thing oh the spoon theory yeah did i just get wisconsin no 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 spoon theory is um for example every day you are given 10 spoons and you have to use one of those spoons to feed yourself you have to use one of those spoons to get ready. You have to use one of those spoons for that meeting at 9 a.m. And some days you can scoop up a lot more with that spoon. But some days you have a tiny little itty bitty spoon, like a tasting spoon from Cold Stone Creamery. And you can't do a lot with that. So if you're out of spoons at the end of the day because you use them all up, scooping up all the stuff you need to deal with, you don't have a spoon to lend a friend. So you've got to be able to be like, hey, I don't have any gas left in the tank today for anybody else. I used it all up dealing with my own stuff. I'd love to be able to help you with this, but I need to be able to refill my tank first. I need to be able to go back and get more spoons by sleeping or playing a video game that I really like and decompressing Mm. or going to therapy. Therapy is like plus two spoons and it's different for everybody, but that's how I communicate it with people is you've got so many spoons today. And if you don't have any at the end of the day, that's fine. You just need to let people know that you can't go negative spoons. 
You only have yeah. so many. You can't just pull spoons out of nowhere. And if you can, you're a magician and I don't trust you. <laughs> what witchery is this? Exactly. Thing about uh, just about like listening to people and then having to take a moment. It reminds me of one of our other hosts who is on the show whenever she can be. Back when I first met her and we started doing this together, taking over, I guess, she told me that listening to the voice messages, like like the one that you left, was like probably one of the hardest things that she ever had to do because she wasn't prepared for what she was going to hear. Oh, yeah. Thought, okay. And I thought, I've been through like crazy trauma, so I, I can do this. But then this last recorded episode with the voice messages. I don't know if you notice this and some people probably will now when I say it, but there was one voice message that wasn't a voice message. It was a text message. So I had to read it and I didn't know what was in it. So when I was reading it, I was recording while I was doing the voice messages. And so I didn't stop it. I just kept going, but I didn't know what was in it. So you were emotionally processing what you were reading in real time. Yeah. I was reading about their birthday or something, and then they they went on to say about their family members that that killed themselves and on yeah and on, and on. And I remember like right after I said birthday, I said oh my because I was reacting to whatever was coming next because I, I had no idea that that was there. When you yeah. go in blind like that, it's hard to. You can never prepare yourself, I think, for what you guys are doing, listening to those messages, just going in raw. Because a lot of people are like, oh, they're never going to hear this. But knowing now that like you guys listen to every single one, and you respond to every single yeah. one. That is an incredible burden that you guys are doing. And the fact that you're I'm glad you're spreading it across multiple people because that is too much for one person two people. And yeah, there's just, I don't think there's any way you can ever prepare yourself for somebody else's trauma. Yeah. Not even if you've had like the world's, you know. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. But that's precisely why, at least that's why I answer them is because I feel like they shared that with us. Say, hey, we hear you, see you. And I just want to tell you like, hey, I'm really proud of you. Or hey, here's this giant hug from me to you. Exactly. And you don't know if that's that's what that person needed that day. That's why I make it a point every time I leave the house to like go run errands or something. If I see somebody's shirt and I think it's cute, I'm going to tell them. If I think their glasses are pretty, I'm going to tell them. If I think that their hair is really nice or that, you know, their shoes are cool, I'm going to tell them because you never know when somebody needs to hear something like that. You never know what that person is going through based on just walking past them in the grocery store. And so I kind of take the same approach with with everything. You never know what you're going to say to somebody that's going to affect them in a positive way. So try to make everything that you say positive. Are you familiar with Band of Horses? Do you know who they are? I love that band. Yes. Yeah. There's this one song and I swear that lyric just pops off the page or the track, I guess. There's this one lyric where he says, um, watch how you treat every living thing. It goes right in line with be a good yeah. human for me. Yeah, it really does. Why, like if I'm going into a store or some kind of place with doors, if uh, someone is behind me yet I'm right at the door, I hold it. Oh, I hold it open. It doesn't matter who it is. Exactly. I'll hold the door for anybody. I don't care. I have fibromyalgia and Crohn's disease. I am not spry, but I will hold the goddamn door for somebody. I don't mind. And Wisconsin is uh, the Canada of America where everybody's just a little too nice. And it's it's a wonderful thing. Everybody makes small talk everywhere they go. Everybody's got something to say. And that little facet of the culture here, I wish was everywhere. Maybe that's uh, something you could put everywhere. Yeah, people need more Wisconsin in their lives. People need to say, oh, sorry, a little bit more. <laughs> I just, I think it's very important. I just don't think people communicate on like a, a surface level even 
anymore yeah. with people. Everybody's just so in their own lane when they leave the house to go do something. And it's like, okay, but instead of being like, I have to go do all these errands and it's going to be so exhausting. It's like, oh, I get to go to go to the grocery store and putz around and maybe run into somebody cool. I made a friend at the grocery store like three weeks ago over K-pop because wow. I was like, oh, you have a photo card in your phone. I've, I've made a lot of really amazing friends through going to like concerts, K-pop concerts that I would not have expected. <laughs> I've been a K-pop fan since like 2008. I'm elderly in the K-pop community. Oh my goodness. But it's something very inspiring that I try to kind of like preach about. You never know how something's going to affect you like a song or a book or a movie. Like uh, BTS in particular, they have this whole movement about loving yourself. And I wish people would not write off K-pop as just like, oh, it's just a musical phase. Like you really look into what those guys are doing for people's mental health and working with United Nations and being ambassadors for their country. Like they care about people. Like they want people to love the best parts of themselves. I know so many people that their lives have been literally saved by these seven dudes. And I respect them so much for that. And there's so much of that like message that I wish would just bleed out into everything else. And and it's it's really awesome to see. It's like and the metal community is so supportive of each other. Oh, my God. If somebody gets tripped at a metal show, everything yeah. stops and that person gets picked up. And if you're not stopping to help that person, you're probably going to get windmills in the face. Like you, they just don't tolerate that. And I think in the least expected communities mm -hmm. that people are finding like, oh, there's nice people here. What? You never know. It feels like we're working ridiculously harder to find those communities and those Definitely like that and then also to connect with people because mm -hmm. you know technology makes it even harder for people to go out and just be around each other right yeah person that they're doing isn't going to a party or a bar to meet someone they're going on tinder they're going on all these apps exactly or like you're you're so focused on your phone you go out like if you go to a concert every single person you see is holding up their phone right to like record it and like I can't remember the last time I pulled out my phone for more than like a second to take a quick picture. I'm trying to live in that moment. Totally get that. And I, I think more people just need to live in the moment. Whenever I go to a concert, I will maybe take like a minute or two of video, but then after yeah. That's it. Like here's here's for my Instagram story and like a, a Snapchat memory or like, oh, there's Mingi. He's cute. <laughs> like You've got to take those moments to like remember it. But also like it's an experience. Uh, totally. You have to burn it into your brain's memory. Exactly. See, uh, an Icelandic band that I love so much. And I remember everyone had their phone. I was like hanging off the balcony just <laughs> <laughs> like, because I'm not, they're probably not going to come through here again anytime soon. So why wouldn't you just like watch their every move? And yeah, exactly. That's how I felt like when BTS came to Las Vegas, I've never been on a plane. I'd oh. never like done anything like that. And my best yeah. friend is like, I couldn't afford to go. And she was like, I want you to go because her love language is experiences. It's having experiences with people that she loves. And that is the most wholesome thing I've ever heard. Because that's just such a wonderful thing to want is to just experience life with people. I wish that people would use that as a love language more often. And so she paid for me to, to go out to Las Vegas and go see him two days in a row yeah. and to be in a stadium of like 50,000 people, everybody at the same time, just so united in one moment and one one thing that we all know we're there for. That was completely different than any other concert experience I've ever had. It was moving. It was emotional. And then like everybody's walking across the bridge after the concert and like singing with themselves and you make a bunch Aww. of new friends and yeah. people just need to like just put your phone down for a second and look around. Just get out of your own head. 
I know it's really hard to do, but like, just go outside and look at look at the stars. There's a meteor shower happening or there's a comet that's passing by. Just go take a walk. Look at all the different flowers that your neighbors have on their porches. Say hi to them. Yeah, say hi to your neighbors. Good God. Mr. Rogers is like my idol. Shut up right now. I would die for Mr. Rogers. Well, um, I mean, office, you would see Mr. Rogers up on the bookshelf because shut up. I did a TV show pilot thing. And yeah, it was all about him and living in the neighborhood. Like years later, his his uh, his nephew moves into the neighborhood. And so it's a whole episode on that. I took him home because we had this like eight by 10 picture on the living room table and I took that home so he like sits in my office like every day and I want to uh, work on a documentary on him probably next year. Fred and Joanne Rogers are two of the most incredible human beings that have ever walked this earth. I will get emotional talking about them. The, The way that he advocated for children to just be children, to treat them as people, to understand what they're dealing with and like how you as an adult dealt with that at one point in time and put yourself back in their shoes. Be a part of your community. Allow people to feel their feelings and be who they want to be. And the the barriers he broke down in the gay community in you know, the community that was dealing with segregation in 1969, going to talk to Congress about how important public television is for education and PBS as it is today. It's just Fred Rogers is one of the most incredible human beings that has ever lived. Yeah. Like earlier when you were talking, I, I thought about him and I was like thinking about him saying like what what do you do with the mad that you feel yes exactly it's it's about doing something good with that and when I was in school we would every day during like nap time in elementary school we would watch Mr. Rogers and I just I think that we need more Mr. Rogers and like stuff like like Bluey Bluey I think is the closest we've come to having something like that. I think Sesame Street being so inclusive and accessible is incredible. Public education and public television are have been instrumental in teaching kids things that they would not normally have the chance to learn. And I think that that's something else that we desperately need to invest in. It's it's just not a thing anymore because of the digital age of go on YouTube and watch slime videos for four hours. And that's cool. If you like slime, kid, that's fine. But also I want to make sure that like you learn something at the end of it, even if you don't realize you're learning something. You know what I mean? That's the tricky part is getting them to learn something without realizing it. And uh, I just, we need more of that. We need more understanding for kids. They're not going to figure it out on their own. He was like a huge advocate of teaching adults that kids understood more than we thought that they did. Oh, absolutely. Kids are sponges. Kids see and hear and feel and absorb everything. And if you think that they're not hearing what you say, if you think those things that you said to them aren't going to matter to them in 20 years, you're wrong. I promise. And that's why everything you ever say to a kid should be something that they can use in a positive way. If you want to say something negative to a kid, stop and then don't do it. If you know a kid that's not getting anything positive, say something positive to that child because that that's the stuff that really sticks with you. Earlier, you mentioned, did you say chosen family? Is that what yeah. Tell me more about your chosen family and how, how did you come up with chosen family? I mean, I think it's a term a lot of people use, but it's for me, I'm educating you on spoons and chosen family today. I lost my mom, my aunt, and my grandma in the same year. Almost lost my dad, almost lost myself, and then lost my dad and then pandemic and all that stuff. I'm an only child. 
I have two grandpas and they're both 94 and that's that's about it. Oh, my grandma died the same year. My dad died too. My other grandma, I forgot about that. It's bad when you have so many people die in your family, you forget about it. But having those people that I don't think blood is thicker than water. I don't think that just because somebody is related to you means you have to give them your time if they're not a good person for you. That is hard. But just because you're related doesn't give that person access to your energy. And if you aren't getting good energy from them, you don't have to allow them into your space. And so I have chosen to surround myself with people that I care about and that I know care about me. And my friends aren't my friends. They're my family. My my best friend, Haley, she's my sister. My best friend, Chandra, she's like my sister. My boyfriend, now fiance, his family has become my family. His mom's my best friend. I would die for that woman. I would take several bullets for her. She's one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met in my entire life. So like you, you can pick who you want to call family. You don't have to just subscribe to what you're given. You can choose to make family something that you want it to be. And it doesn't have to be with the people that you're stuck with or forced to handle. You can change that. If you want to call that person your brother because you're really close, do it. Who's going to stop you? What does that change? Nothing. It's just you're choosing to let that person know that they're like family to you. And um, I think that that is sometimes those are bonds that are even stronger because you chose those people to be in your in your space. Well, sorry, my cat just got fed. He's very excited. <laughs> it's automatic timer sings to him when it's Oh, so that concept, though, did did you find that somewhere? Did someone teach you this? Like, where My dad, my dad taught me that he was in a motorcycle club for a great number of years. And every person in that motorcycle club was his brother. And then by proxy, they were uncle, whatever, or aunt, whatever. And those people to this day still check on me and ask me how I'm doing. So just the fact that he treated everybody out the gate with kindness and love and like, how's it going, brother? To a person he just met that kind of just, you you haven't given me a reason to be angry towards you. So why would I express that kind of hesitance? Why wouldn't I just give you the benefit of the doubt out of the gate? You haven't given me a reason to feel that way. Everybody's the same. It comes back to that be a good human thing. Everybody's a human being on a giant flying rock. We all come from star stuff. We're all made of the same minerals and chemicals and atoms. So you should treat people the same way you would want to be treated because we're all the same stuff. doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter who you love. It doesn't matter what your gender identity is. It doesn't matter anything. You're all made of that same star stuff that came from space hundreds of millions of years ago. So you should treat people the same exact way. I was I was super curious to find out what you were like <laughs> after your voice message to to meet the person who who lived through all of these crazy difficult things and ask you how the hell did you survive all that <laughs> by listening to you it's so clear how you survived all of that and i'll leave it to everyone else for their own interpretation so i won't even you know summarize yeah, and what's crazy so is that it might be so clear to you but to me i'm like i don't know well you know trauma recognizes trauma so fair game recognizes game <laughs> You guys can't see this, but I'm air air fist bump right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm gonna ask to be adopted. All right. So sure. Uh, Absolutely. I, I I seriously, I mean, I'm I'm so happy. I'm so proud of you. I think I even told you that, I think, when I when I said did, you. and that meant a lot to me. Can't even can't even tell you. Well, I'm I'm proud of you for being able to reach out to these people and give them the time of day to just something so small as, hey, thank you for giving me that information. Thank you for telling uh, me your story. I'm I'm honored that you trusted me with that. 
And there are some good ones too. Like the girl who uh, told us before her own family that she got engaged. Oh my God. (laughs) I thought that was the most hilarious thing in the whole world. She's like, it's, it's, you know, I haven't even told them and it's like four in the morning and they're going to kill me when they find out, but I'm getting married. Sometimes you're just so excited to tell somebody, you know, like I, I, I think another way that I've coped is dark humor. You have to have dark humor to function in my line of work. And I I have both of my parents on like my my altar where, you know, I I light incense every day and I just I'll talk to them like they're right there. But uh, some of my friends have come to learn that, like, I will make very inappropriate jokes about my parents' death at inappropriate times. Like when they told me that my dad wasn't going to he wasn't going to wake up. They were like, there's nothing we can do. He has no brain activity. This is what your options are. And I was like, well, I already lost one parent. So if I lose the other one, that means I qualify to be a vigilante like Batman because I'll be an orphan. And the one nurse looked at me like somebody commit her. And the other nurse laughed. And I was like, she gets it. Yes. She gets it because that's how I got through that moment was incredibly dark humor. And my my fiance told me, he's like, that's the moment I was like, I love her. Oh, and I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, it's kind of messed up. But that was the moment I was like, this girl, she'll be all right. She's yeah, great. That's amazing. You got to be able to laugh. I mean, with last name like Butts. Oh, the story of the Butts. Okay. Oh, yes. I almost <laughs> forgot about the Butts story. Please do. Please do. <laughs> all right, guys. This is a story for everyone because I haven't. And yeah, nobody knows this yet. I'm so excited. So your name is Stephanie Butts, right? It is. I went to school with a kid named Stephanie Butts in the second grade. And I thought you Shut were up. her. I thought you were her. And I was like, holy crap. There's a Stephanie Butts that lives 20 Goodness. minutes away from me. I've never met another one that spells the name, like the first name. Everybody yeah. usually spells it with a PH. Oh. But my parents were like, oh, well, you have a really long middle name. So we're going to make your first name short and spell like it sounds. And I was like, all right, cool. Thank you, guys. But like the town I grew up in is also Brown Town. <laughs> so my last name is Butts and Butts Road, where our family farm is, is the back way into Brown Town. And I have used that in my opening tight five for stand up for the last 15 years. And I will not stop. I will continue to make jokes about that because that is just what you have to do. Wow. It writes itself. Oh exactly. My God. Exactly. Oh my that's that's my opener every time. And it never fails to make people laugh. And when I go in to talk to kids and I'm like, you guys get to say butts all day today. <laughs> they love that. So when I come, they're like, yeah, we could just say, but you got to make the best of what you're given. Yeah. And I know it's a silly example, but it really is just like you got to do with what you've got. And I have butts. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say it's like it's like making lemonade with butts. Exactly. Sometimes you just got to, you know, I feel like peaches look kind of like butts, you know, so it's like you're making peach aid. Is that why you have the little peach emoji? Maybe. (laughs) It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, figured it out. Smart one. <laughs> you, you got me. Um, yeah. So you can't. Well, I just realized this. You couldn't. You couldn't be her because I'm like you're 31, right? Yeah. yeah I'm like seven years older than you. So shut up. Here. You are not. I am. You're a liar. I'm not a liar. You look really good for your age. No, thank you. It's a filter. No, <laughs> no it's not. No, you. I can. I can tell. Uh. Yeah. 
so you can't be here, but there, you have her name. And that's, that's wild. There's so know. many, though. Like, if I were to look up all the Stephanie butts, there's a lot of them. There's one that lives in, like, oh, God, like Switzerland or something that follows me on Twitter. No way. What's yeah, we just we just followed each other because we have the same like, name. Organize all the butts into, like, a... Like oh, a, my God, like a booty gang? A convention. A yeah. booty call. <laughs> a booty call. <gasps> That's so smart. There's a band that I really like from San Francisco called Planet Booty. They're like body positive space funk. Um, I highly recommend them to anybody. But when I first met them, I was like, oh, my last name is Butts and you guys are Planet Booty. And like, we've been friends ever since. The booty call idea is I'm going to have to recommend that to Dylan for his Patreon because he does a monthly call with people on his Patreon. And I'm going to be like, if you don't call it a booty call, Dylan, what are you doing with your life? (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, I hope he likes that. That's that's a gem. You can have credit for that one for sure. Gold star. Yeah, I would love that. Booty that's call? amazing. Man, <laughs> all of the... Did you just snort? Yeah, my cheeks hurt. That's so funny. Oh, man, that makes me so happy. I, I love a good pun. I love silly jokes like that. Dad jokes are just top tier humor for me. Right? So underrated. It's really they really are. So you're... Wait, wait. You had mentioned like stand-up comedy. So you do stand-up comedy too? Uh, I have. I have just for fun. Never anything like I'm going to turn this into a career. But like my dad and I, he would let me stay up late and watch Saturday Night Live with him every Saturday. Like from the time that I was real little, from the time that I probably shouldn't have been watching it. But they were honest with me. That was what I wanted to do when I was a kid. I'm like, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be on Saturday Night Live and it's going to be amazing. And now I'm like, I have anxiety. I'm good. I'll just small group of people at the community theater is fine for me. Hey, that's making people laugh is fun. Being on stage with people. You know? Yeah, that's, that's like, not easy. That you feel there, it's the same. Oh, yeah, exactly. I get that same feeling when I'm talking to like a room full of kids. Because like if you can make people laugh, it feels so good. Yeah, yeah. That's such a genuine, like, universal feeling. If you can make somebody laugh, you're just like, yes. There's something about like the magnetic energy that you feel when you're on a stage. And then you you realize that every single set of eyes is on you. Every yeah. Just paying attention to everything you're doing. And you're yeah. like, control this. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to harness this energy real quick. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to tell them this awesome mes- message. Yeah. Um, the, the butts always get some going. So, I mean, it's all it's all smooth sailing after that. I bet. I bet you probably have them like eating out of the palm of your hands. I have really little hands. So not too many of them. But yes. Well, Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you have your spoons, then I think you're all set. See, you've already got it. Oh, yeah. My goodness, lady. I'm so glad that we uh, exchanged messages. I was going to say Texas's. Well, Texas's. I think it's um one of those right place, right time things again. Yeah. I never check my Instagram. I never check it. I check my cat because he has... <laughs> He has followers and I don't. So, I mean, I manage his stuff, but then like I'll switch back over to mine. And so I had a message. I was like, are you happy? What is And I was like, oh, my God, I sent that message so long ago. And I had to listen back to it because I was like, I don't even remember what I said. Yeah. And it was wild to listen to that and be like, this was this was such a different time in my life. And now I'm literally like just as happy, if not happier. So like, did it bring back like a ton of feelings for you? Like just. Like, for me, it was a, it was almost like a sense of relief. It was like, it was like validating like, oh, yeah, you went through all that. And that's been three years ago already. Because I think everybody's perception of time is so skewed now that I think the pandemic really messed with people's perception of the 
the march of time as it were. Mm -hmm. And uh, I already have ADHD. So time's not real to me. So it was, it was really like, wow, all that stuff happened. And because all that stuff happened, I was in the right spot at the right time for all of these things to happen. And look at me now. Yeah, man, look at you now. Good Lord. It's, it's, it's uh, very difficult for me to pat myself on the back or brag. And I've been working on that lately. I've been trying to celebrate myself the way that I celebrate others. It is not easy, but stuff like this, I was like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to be like, hey, here's all this cool stuff I did. Maybe one person will hear that and be like, oh, I would love to do that. And then they'll go do it. And then they'll talk to somebody else about it. And they will spawn better humans. Exactly. They'll spawn better humans. And then we're all better humans. Exactly. We just, we need more good humans in the world. And I think that that's just how I tie everything together. At the end of everything I talk about, it doesn't matter what the topic is. I always end it with that, be a good human. Or I tell them to do Fred Rogers and his acceptance speech when he was, let's take 10 seconds of silence to think yes. about the people that love you and have gotten you where you are today. And I'll watch the time. He held every person in the country accountable to those 10 seconds because he said he would watch the time. Did you see that latest documentary? Oh. and they incorporated that part and then you ate me up <gasps> yep yeah and then when jeff erlinger came on and he just like he ignored all everything and he just walked up on that stage and he was just so excited to see his friend and he was just exactly who he was on tv as he was in real life and people were like no way but he really was just that good mm. and we need more of that for sure I think they're there. I think they're there. I I I choose to believe that they're that they're there. That there's more. Oh, absolutely, they're there. I just think they deserve to be um, celebrated, and I think that yeah. they deserve to have the opportunity to turn those moments of despair for other people into a moment of what did we learn from this, and how can we move forward in a better way to become more resilient from this. And it's not easy to do by yourself, so it's always best to have somebody hold your hand when you're going through those tough times. And you're one of them. I try to be. I try to be as much as I can. And I think you're doing that for people, too. No, no. Repeat after me. I am one of them. I am one of them. (laughs) And also, you are one of them, too. You know, those little small thank you messages. Somebody's looking at that and they're like, wow, I feel seen. I feel valid. I needed that. You're so a one of them. (laughs) So, so, yeah. So I really do think that, that there are those, those friends out there. There are people like you and me that, that really, really care and want to help people process their trauma and, and find a way to cope with it and then be good humans and, and teach other people to be good humans. And I think that all of that, that is how we get to that next place. Absolutely. I I completely agree. I think it's just a matter of stripping people away from all of those barriers of hiding how they feel or trying to not feel those feelings because they're difficult. Just to get people back to like who they are just at their core. Everybody just wants to be loved. Everybody just wants to be understood. Everybody just wants to be held when they're sad. Everybody wants to yell when they're angry. And that's that's who we all are at our core. I think that even though you're not on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> I think that you could just go outside and just like <laughs> every Saturday. <laughs> just get on my little soapbox outside and be like, it's Stephanie Night Live now. No, I was, well, I, I was <laughs> you know, just get out there and as loud as you possibly can yell live from Saturday Night. Saturday night. Yeah, stick around. We've got a great show. Sam Smith is here. <laughs> that would be amazing. I think that would be so therapeutic for you. I might, I might start. 
Who knows? Maybe the, the, the crows might hear it. They might come. I can talk to the cows. They love that. Cows will listen to anything. Do you have you cows? I don't, but there are a multitude of them within a very short driving distance from me. It's against the law here to see cows and not go, oh, cows, you have to do it. They will know if you don't. So I can just go out to any farm and just pull over off to the side of the road and talk to cows and everybody will be like, fine with it. Nobody's going to be like, who's that creep talking to my cows right now? They're going to be like, oh, they're talking to the girls. I'm so jealous man because like we don't well everyone thinks that texans have cows in their backyard like dogs you guys don't have a really great environment for yeah so you get to like chill out with cows cows are grass puppies oh they really are they are some of the the sweetest most affectionate playful giant dogs and it's it's become increasingly hard for me to enjoy beef because i love cows so but also steak is good. When I was a little kid, I used to go to the grocery store with my mom and then we'd go through like the meat section and I shit, I shit, you know, and you're probably the first person I've ever told this outside of my family, but I used to apologize to all the packaged meat. Oh. Like I would walk by it and put my hand on it and be like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Bless your heart, you sweet summer child. Oh my I goodness. I didn't see anything or no one told me anything. I just felt bad because it was an animal. And now that's so cute. Oh my God. Thank you for telling me that that's so wholesome and such like a it speaks to your your humanness that you're just like oh I didn't know anything about that factory farms or butchering and I was just like the cow died the chicken died in your life where you're like you don't know why you did it but at the time you did it and And it made sense it's like this huge huge thing it's a it's a huge exactly you never know like what what those things are that are going to be like you're an adult and you're like oh wow how did I how did I process that concept with no help people are just everybody's got a little bit of something in them that they just they'll figure it out certain things oh absolutely when I was little my dad was a biker guy so he was always surrounded by people in leather and Harley Davidson t-shirts and like rough and tumble looking guys with big beards and my mom worked at a bar so I was it was the mid 90s so I was at the bar because it's legal in Wisconsin to go into a bar it's more like a restaurant environment here It's kind of a dual thing. And so I was just like sitting there eating potato chips and hanging out. And a guy walked in in a suit and I had never seen a man in a suit before. And so I was terrified of him. So I go and I run behind the guys in leather and they're like, what did you do to scare my little girl? And they're all protective of me. And I'm like, I don't like him. Businessman. I hated that. I hated that. And I think that's so silly because as I've grown up, I've realized that like sometimes people that don't look like they're friendly are the most friendly people in the world and sometimes people that look like they're upstanding wonderful citizens are awful people and I've met more nice people in leather than I have in business suits so as a child I was just like I don't trust the government I don't trust you man my dad was kind of a hippie though too so I grew up not trusting the government (laughs) but you kind of had a sixth sense already huh yeah I guess I just I've, I've always been really good at just kind of picking up on people's vibes and I think I got that from my dad he was really good at just connecting with people no matter where they were from or he just always knew a little something about everything so he could spark up a conversation with anybody and he he blessed me with that gift. My mom was like that too. She was really good at being able to talk to people because as a bartender, it's like being a barber. You're kind of like a mini therapist and especially in a small town where everybody knows everybody, you know, it's you have their drink sitting down because you know it's four o'clock and he's coming in from the foundry or from bale and hay that day. Those are, those are kind of things that I think don't exist in a lot of places in the country anymore. And it's just about knowing people 
on a basic level and just being like, oh, I can relate to this person on this one thing so we can talk about it. You just gotta you just gotta give people a chance. Just talk to them. You never know. Yeah, just say hi. I like your glasses. Rad button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we have to ask our series of questions because if we we would be remiss if we didn't. Uh, you you told us in your voice message, but just to ask again, of course, you're gonna ask me if I'm happy right now. Was he laughing? No, oh. no, <laughs> he was coughing. Oh. But yeah, go ahead, ask me your 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 question. Did I said, are you happy? Oh, yeah. No, I am happy, actually. I'm incredibly happy. And I don't think that I would be as happy as I am without confronting some of the things that aren't fun to deal with. Kind of checking myself on my own bullshit. That's not an easy thing to do, but I'm definitely a lot happier for it because I feel better about myself. I feel better about things that I do because I know why I'm doing them. And I mean, I'm, I'm engaged. I have a fat, chunky kitty that I love more than anything. I have the most incredible chosen family. I have an incredible work family. I have incredible in-laws and brothers-in-law that I'm gaining. And my family just keeps getting bigger. And the more people that I have in it, the happier I am. So I'm just, I honestly don't think I could be any better at this point. I don't think there's any amount of money in the world that could make me happier than I am right now. And if you could share a message with people that were struggling with happiness, something that they haven't already heard or that you've already said, what would that be? I would say reach out to the people who give you the same comforting energy that you would want from like your mom or your grandma or some sort of just comforting familial energy. If you know somebody like that, that gives you that kind of vibe, whether you're related to them or not, I bet if you ask them, hey, would you listen to me just complain for a second? I bet they'd listen. It's okay to talk to people. It's okay to have a bad day and let someone know. And if you don't have somebody to talk to about it, reach out to somebody who can put you in touch with those you can talk to about it. Because I guarantee you there is a support group or there is just a people that meet for coffee every Wednesday at a local cafe somewhere where you can talk to someone who will understand what you are going through and you are absolutely not alone. Meetup. Meetup.com. There's like there you go. Meetup groups. Make sure you go safely. Make sure you let somebody know where you're going. Turn your location on, please, because the world is still a realistic place. But you have to try and see the best in it, because if you try and see the worst in it all the time, you're never going to be able to see the good in it. You won't even have the chance. So congratulations on your upcoming wedding. Thank you so much. We have not set a date. I just know it's going to be Lord of the Rings Lego oh. themed. And that's Whoa, what? Yeah, I just want to wear a flower crown and be silly for a whole day. That's that's my goal. I'm also going to rickroll everybody at the reception because I've been rickrolled every day of my life for the last five years in one way or another. That's not an exaggeration. It is a curse. Rick Astley is the bane of my existence, but I also respect him. But it never fails every day I get rickrolled. So I'm going to do it to everybody else for once. I, I don't want you to spoil your master plan because I want to hear this. Huh. I might have to edit that out. Yeah. No, I, oh, no. They'll know. I, I don't care who knows. Oh, they already know. Okay. Yeah, okay. no. I, I, they just don't know when it's coming. I won't even know when it's coming. I'm just going to look at the DJ and be like, at some point you need to drop that. So when no one's paying attention. Or something, a, a nose yeah. thing or a dove. No, fly. I'm just going to leave it up to him. It's out of my hands. It's yeah. in Rick Astley's hands. Yeah. <laughs> He'll know. That's amazing. Wow. 
Is this going to be uh, somehow put on video? Probably. <laughs> oh, world to see. I hope so. My my fiance's mom is big into, she's a big documentarian. So I am positive that she will catch it. She recalled me in my birthday card. So I think that she'll, I think she'll follow through. Nice. Now I'm, I asked I ask this from any Wisconsin, was it Wisconsinan or Wisconsinite or what do you, what do you call it? Uh, Wisconsinite or oh. cheese heads more informally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So do, do people still wear the cheese hat? Oh yeah, absolutely. The cheese head is a is a rite of passage. Everybody's got one sitting in their room somewhere in a basement. You've got one. And if you think you don't have one, look again. Is it issued like when you move to the state? <laughs> yeah, it's it, yeah, they get with you get your driver's license and then you get a courtesy cheese head and uh Wisconsin Badgers like sticker, you know, it's just customs. That's how it goes. No, you can, you can get a cheese head at like any gas station and people wear them all the time. God, I need one of those in my life. We'll have to get you one. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, man, it has been so awesome having you. Uh, it's been great to be here. I've I've had a wonderful time. I'm so glad we did too. this. Me too. Like seriously glad we did this. And I can't wait to put it online for everyone to hear because you you have such an inspiring story and and everything that you have yet to do is is amazing. Like you're going to do such wonderful things and it all comes from such a really, really powerful place. So I look forward to watching you and seeing all the amazing things that you do. Well, and I, I look forward to seeing you continue to ask people if they're happy, because I think that's a really important question. And I think it catches a lot of people off guard. I think it's a beautiful thing. And it's not just me. I will say that there's like, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a whole slew of you guys. <laughs> yes. When I found out about that, I was like, whoa, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> but I think that's better, though, because you reach more people that way. Oh, totally. And yeah, it's just it's just amazing. It's, it's one of those things that's totally unexpected. And it's, sometimes it's, the most unexpected things in life are the best things. Seriously. So I say that all the time when I when I talk about the journey and I'm like, you know, in the beginning, I thought it's either going to be a really great story at a cocktail party or it's going to be like a life changing experience. And I'm so happy every freaking day that it's the latter. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm definitely happy that it's usually the latter. So. Yeah, well, I mean, God, stay in touch. We need to. We need. Yeah, to stay absolutely. I'm glad that we made friends. I'm glad that we're friends. Oh, me too. I'm adopted now. So yeah. now you have to pay attention to your social and your Instagram. <laughs> no, I, I will. I will. I'll follow your cat. Good God. What was yes. What was the cat's thing again? It's the Instagram is Santiago the Chonk. Santiago dot the dot Chonk. C-H-O-N-K. And then everything else, all of my socials, I'm a pierogi wizard. So we will be in touch. Absolutely. And- I'll send you a picture of the cat. Well, uh- you'll see you'll see him when you follow him. You'll see him. Yeah, for sure. We'll get a shout out. He'll he'll write our name in kitty litter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just write, are you happy in poop? Oh, wow. <laughs> I would not. I would not. But no, thanks. Thanks for having me on and talking to me. It's been great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take care of yourself and, and uh, enjoy your cheese. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I will. I'm actually going to go eat some cheese right now. So amazing. Well, thanks oh, a lot. See you thanks. later. The Are You Happy Hour and Are You Happy Hotline are brought to you by Are You Happy Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media such as Instagram and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Are You Happy, the docuseries, can also be found on social media such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. See you guys next time for another wonderful episode of Are You Happy, the Happy Hour.